Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Professor Kate Brain, who is a professor of health psychology within the School of Medicine at Cardiff University. We're going to discuss the paper she's published here in the BJGP alongside first author Kate Lifford, titled Satisfaction with Remote Consultations in Primary Care During COVID-19, a Population Survey of UK Adults. So thanks, Kate, for joining me here to talk about this paper, Nice to See You, which is on a topic which I think fueled a lot of debate during and after the recent COVID pandemic. I think we can all probably appreciate that the way that GP appointments were offered shifted significantly almost overnight during COVID. But can you talk us through the background to this work and what we know about the use of remote consultations before COVID and since it's more widespread use? Yeah, so there was there was some research um, pre-pandemic on remote consulting, which sort of was fairly limited and showed quite a bit of uh, sort of mixed findings. But there was some indication, even pre-pandemic, of inequalities in certainly in usage of remote consultations, with evidence that uh, people from older group, older age groups, so the elderly, were less likely to use remote consulting, and some evidence that it was more likely likely to be used by women and younger age groups, which kind of fits. So that was the general pattern pre-pandemic. And so this study was conducted as part of a wider study that was funded by UK Research and Innovation as part of a rapid COVID-19 study to assess the impact of the pandemic on cancer attitudes and help seeking. So we decided to include some additional questions on people's experiences and satisfaction with remote consulting because there was a real, if you remember, there was a real shift towards the later stages of the pandemic in, you know, a lot of media coverage about with concerns about access to remote consulting and potential concerns about safety of remote consulting. So we felt that actually that was an opportunity for us to gather some extra data specifically on people's experiences and satisfaction with remote consulting. Because I guess going back to the first question, we were concerned that the pandemic was going to exacerbate existing health inequalities, one of which is, you know, digital access to remote technologies already being an issue and that the pandemic, you know, this big shift towards remote consultation could exacerbate those existing inequalities. So this study aimed to look um, at people's perceptions of remote consultations within that wider study you mentioned, and also to look at these potential inequalities. So how did you go about doing this? And as I said, you mentioned this wider study as well. Yes, so we gathered population data in two waves of online cross-sectional survey. So the first survey was carried out in August to September of 2020, and the second wave was carried out with the same participants, but in the following February and March 2021. So in that second wave, that's when we decided to include some additional um, survey questions about people's satisfaction with remote consulting. So you had these series of questions to look at satisfaction with remote consultations, and then you developed a six-question scale of satisfaction. Is that right? So can you talk me through what you found here? That's right. So we gathered data um, using a six-item satisfaction measure. We actually collected um, seven items uh, that had been previously used in the cancer awareness measure that was developed by Cancer Research UK. And we tested those items out with several lay representatives to make sure that they were acceptable. 
And then we also gather data on a range of demographic variables. So things like age, education, occupation, et cetera, et cetera. And we were looking at patterns of associations between people's self-reported satisfaction with remote consulting and a range of demographic variables to see if there's any patterning of association. Yeah. So which patients did you find were most satisfied with remote GP consultations? Did it fit what we knew already from the literature or what were the findings there? Yeah, so the main finding was that participants who had higher uh, levels of education reported higher levels of satisfaction with remote consultations compared to participants who had lower levels of education or no formal qualifications. We also found that there was some patterning by country of residence. Um, so we found that participants who were resident in Wales reported slightly higher satisfaction compared to participants who were resident in Scotland. But we're treating those data with a little bit of caution because there were fairly small sample sizes, particularly in the people who were sampled from Scotland. So there are some caveats around that part of the data. But certainly the findings by education, I think, are of considerable interest. That's quite concerning, actually. So that seems to suggest that use of remote consultations might actually exacerbate some of the inequalities that we might find in practice. That's the risk. I mean, it seems to be that while remote consultations work for some people, for other people, you know, they're they're not going to potentially work as well. We certainly found a, a difference in satisfaction by education. So it may be that some adaptations could be made to the method of consulting. So it may be that particular attention needs to be paid to communication and rapport building for people who might have difficulties communicating. So whether that's through the kind of triage, the remote triage process or the remote encounter. It may be that, you know, with particular types of remote consultation, if it's done by the phone, obviously you can't pick up on patients' nonverbal cues. And so some attention might need to be paid to using more verbalisation. So checking back for patients' understanding, you know, in a situation where you've got to kind of make up for the lack of visibility and the lack of body language. So that might be an adaptation that could be made for for some patients who might, you know, have issues with communication. Yeah, I think it's interesting with the rapid rollout of remote consulting during COVID. I think that a lot of techniques that people perhaps now use, we didn't really understand how to do remote consulting when things change so quickly. So it's interesting now to reflect back on how we can do it better, really. That's right. And I mean, another adaptation that might be considered is that practices might want to consider the educational background or perhaps the social circumstances of their patient when they're thinking about whether to you know make the decision to see the patient in person or not so it might be that for some patients who are known to the practice as having perhaps particular needs more complex needs it might be that the threshold for seeing them in person is relaxed if you like mm-hmm. so that could be another adaptation that could be made in future Mm. And it probably already is happening in some practices, but I imagine there's probably quite a bit of variation with some practices seeing all their patients in person and some other practices having a mixture of methods. But I think a lot more research needs to be done in kind of tailoring the type of remote consultation to the needs of the particular patient. Any other key findings that you want to highlight coming out of this research? I think the main finding was the the, the finding that education um, was a was a key correlate of satisfaction. I mentioned um, place of country of residence as well, but you know, with caveats that that was we had a relatively small sample of participants from Scotland. So we 
it could reflect something to do with different remote consulting practices in the different nations, but more research would need to be done, I think, in different country settings to tease that out a little bit more. But I think I think the findings around education, we also found actually in the in the initial, in the univariable analyses where we were looking at associations between satisfaction and individual demographic variables, we found that there was some patterning by employment and age group. So we found that people, participants who were in the around the sort of 35 year age group, 35 to 44 year age group had higher levels of satisfaction compared to people who were in the kind of retired age group, so the 65 to 75 year age group, which suggests again that, you know, remote consultation, it makes sense, doesn't it? Remote consulting may suit some people who are perhaps busy with work and other responsibilities. It might be quite convenient for some compared to others. But again, that effect didn't bear out in the multivariable analysis. So when we looked at, when we controlled for other factors, we found that actually education was the main um, factor that came out as significantly associated with satisfaction. So I think there's some reflections to be made there um, in terms of education. And I think that finding about working age people perhaps being more satisfied with remote consultations comes back to perhaps a push to provide a choice to patients. So offer them a choice of consultation modality. And some people might well opt for a telephone consultation for something simple, or if they know that they're going to be stuck in the office, um, rather than being able to come in for a face-to-face consultation. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And I think think you're right. I think it partly depends on the person's preference and being able to articulate their preference and for their specific health concern. But I think also it depends on the nature of the health problem or condition that they're presenting with. So it may, we weren't able to tease that out, unfortunately, in, in this study, because we didn't ask about the nature of the condition that people were consulting remotely for. And, and that's certainly an area for further research. It may be that people with complex pre-existing conditions or perhaps with a vague symptom might, you know, they might be more at risk for a negative experience of a remote triage or remote consultation. So I think that needs to be taken into account as well. And this six item score that you developed or six item scale that you developed of satisfaction with remote consultations, is that something that can potentially be used to further research in this area? So for other teams to take forward? I think hopefully it's something that will be a useful sort of practical outcome of this study that, you know, we have this short measure that seemed to demonstrate reliability. Um, It's something that could potentially be used or adapted in different settings, comparing different types of remote consultations compared to -to face-to-face consultations. So yes, I think it's something that could be hopefully useful to people who are doing more research in this area. Mm. And I wonder if you wanted to send GPs or those working in practice one take-home message to impact on their day-to-day work or how they're organising their clinics, what would that message be? I think my take-home is that remote consultation is becoming or has become mainstream, but I think we need to be cautious in that there are still issues around patient safety, perhaps, that need to be carefully considered. So it may be that the person's, the patient's background circumstances need to be carefully considered before automatically offering a remote consultation. Mm, I think those are very wise words that hopefully, um, as we know, remote consultations are becoming more embedded in practice, we can take into account. And I think what you're saying as well about thinking about how to improve our remote consultation skills going forward is another key message possibly for clinicians to take. 
I mean, I think there's um, there's pros and cons like anything, isn't there? There's, it's going to potentially increase efficiency in an era of, you know, huge demand and limited GP capacity, et cetera. But, you know, there are caveats around that to be cautious about. So it does need a lot more research. And, and also from the patient perspective, I think we don't really understand why education was we saw this association with satisfaction but we don't really know why what are the underlying attitudes and beliefs and the unmeasured variables that we weren't able to pick out in this study that maybe that people from particular population groups feel that they're getting a better service if they're seen in person where they might have you know access to a physical examination and to have a more kind of thorough examination if you like but we don't really know so I think we need to we need more research to look into that Wonderful. Okay. Well, I think that's been a really interesting discussion around this paper. Um, Really interesting findings, as you say, around education and uh, hopefully future research will help to unpick some of the reasons around that. But uh, I just wanted to say thanks very much for your time here and for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. And thank you all very much for your time and for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgb.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgblife.com. And if you'd like to hear more about current research in UK primary care, please do join us at the BJGP Research Conference, which we're holding on the 22nd of March in London. The conference website, if you'd like to take a look and book a ticket, is bjgp.org forward slash conference. Thanks again and bye! Bye!